Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we come that God, the Holy Spirit, will shine the light of Jesus on our hearts as we have sung of you, and now we come to listen to you. We pray that you will bring transformation, that we will talk to you afterwards and cry out to you what we desire that you do in our hearts in accordance with your word. So please be glorified in all this, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are um, at Romans 6. Now we are back after the short break to uh, how to change. You know, that is a series we've been working through. How do you change as a Christian? If how do you change as a person? One may put it this way. The goal of being a Christian, when, when you talk of Christianity, the whole goal is this, that we will be changed. Or let me put it another way that we will be transformed and become like Jesus. It is more like this. The image of God that we lost in the Garden of Eden, in Jesus, who is the exact imprint, the real image of God. In Jesus, that image is being restored to us. So God's goal for us is that when Christ died and was raised from the dead, at the end of it all, you and I, when the time is done and Jesus returns and we appear before God, God looks at us and we look like Jesus. We are in him, having been changed and transformed. Now, Romans 6 is going to tell us something really, really interesting. And I pray that somehow we will be able to keep our minds in focus a little bit. We are in Romans 6. So it means that five chapters have gone before. And what has been happening in Romans chapter 1 right through to chapter 5? So far, Paul has been making some points. He's been, he's been showing to the people that it doesn't matter who you are, whether you are a Jew or you are a Gentile. One thing is true of all of us. Sin is part of us. Even the most decent of people, even the clearest thoughts we have, even the goodest part of our good deeds has been somehow in our nature affected by sin and selfishness and self-centeredness. Even in our service, we are self-serving. Sin has affected everything. And yet he says that the way you are put right with God and sin done away with it's only through Jesus Christ and by faith in him. That is what he's been arguing. So Romans chapter 1 verse um, six, uh, 16 and 17, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first 
to last. Just as it is written, the righteous, the one who has been put right with God, shall live their Christian life by faith in Jesus. And then he says again in chapter 2, verse 28, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly. It's not just the outward show. And for Jews, especially Jewish men, it is circumcision, whatever that is. Don't think about it. Nor is circumcision merely outward or physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And so he's making the point that what actually saves you it's not what you think you're doing externally. It is something God does inwardly. And you receive it by faith in Jesus. And then he goes on to say in chapter 3, 21 to 26. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. To which the law and the prophet testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus. In Jesus Christ. To all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. To be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance... He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And then chapter 4 verse 3 he says, What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Even Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. Now, follow what he's trying to say. So far, he's saying that apart from faith in Jesus, no one will be put right with God. You cannot go to heaven apart from trusting in Jesus entirely. And then he hits chapter 5. Chapter 5, the end of it. And then chapter 6, I hope, will make sense. Chapter 5 says, verse 17 onwards, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, as a result, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought so that the trespass might increase but where sin increased grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord see what he's saying what he's saying is this 
when sin was going about and doing its work freely amongst us, God gave abundant grace such that it drowned sin. It overcame sin. What Paul is not saying is this. Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more so that people can go on to do whatever they like. No. He says that where sin was ruling and reigning, God gave abundant grace through Jesus Christ so that sin will be overcome. Sin will be defeated in that. If you are not careful and you misunderstand the gospel of grace, you're going to think that the gospel of grace, when preached or explained or thought or read, is going to give you somehow the freedom to do whatever you like as a person in Christ. And that is a misunderstanding of the gospel of grace. And so Paul anticipated that kind of objection. He says that, I know some of the things from this that I've been saying so far, by the Spirit, by the way. Won't people live anyhow because they have been saved, because they have taken to heaven? After all, are you a Christian? I have received Christ as my Lord and personal Savior. Tick. I'm going to heaven. I have my ticket to heaven. Won't people, so I can do whatever I like, won't people be thinking this way? Won't people be behaving this way? And others would even say that, won't an overemphasize on salvation by grace? If you overemphasize this, I think you need to bring a certain balance to it so that Christians will also know that they also have to obey in order to make up and bring their salvation to completeness. Now, that may sound right, but that is not what he's saying. He's saying something more glorious than that. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who gave us scripture in Paul, at this point is saying that to go this way is to misunderstand the power of the gospel and how it saves and changes people. So the question, chapter 6, what shall we say then? If what I have said is true, then what shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? If where sin was, grace increased, then isn't it logical? Doesn't it follow? That let's go on sinning so that God's grace might increase. And then he gives the answer. The answer is what? The answer is emphatically no. It's what he says. Let me get back to where I was in a minute. That's it. Verse 2. By no means. That, that thing there is, is an emphasis. It's, it's almost like Paul stamps the pulpit. If he was preaching, he stamps it and says, no, no. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He says, no, no, Christians don't think that way. Why? Why shouldn't we think this way? Are we not those who have, verse 2, have died to sin? How can we live in it any longer? Because when you are saved by faith in Jesus, you do not just receive a ticket to heaven. There is a whole life transformation that is taking place. It's not about ticket. 
It is about becoming like Christ. It is like you are in him. You are not only put right with God. You are also, I don't know how to put this, but made right with God in your everyday life. One wiser preacher puts it this way. His righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, is not only imputed to you, it's not only put on you, it is also imparted to you. I hope I've said it well and got through it. You said that. It is also imparted to you in the sense that it begins to change everything in the fiber of your being. Of what it means to be a human being. The question is, we all know, let's get real here. We all know, and if you don't know, please, you can raise your hand and object to it. We all know that somehow we struggle with sin in our day-to-day lives, right? Right. How then do we defeat sin in the Christian life? Because we cannot go on sinning so that grace may abound. That is not how it works. Grace abounds in order to defeat and destroy sin completely. So, how then, knowing, knowing the struggles we have with technology and with envy and with jealousy and with pornography and with workaholism and idolatry and all these things that we struggle, how then do we defeat sin in this world? The answer is this, and I will explain, so be patient. The answer is with Christ. With Christ, by faith in him. With Christ, you died to sin. You see, this is what is happening in the Christian life. When Christ died by faith in him, it wasn't that he was just dying for us and we stood there so that we received the benefits of salvation. When you trust in Jesus, the Spirit brings you and unites you with Jesus spiritually. And so when Jesus died, we died with him. And so listen to verse 2 again. You die to sin, and therefore you can you, you can make sin your dwelling place, is what he's saying. How can you who died to sin live in it any longer? You have died, you have changed your abode, you have relocated. How then do you go back and live at the same place where you have moved from? Because Christ died, and you died with him. Verse 3. Verse 3 is saying that. Because you have been baptized into Christ, covered with Christ, you have been covered with his death. Now, we will ask ourselves, what what did his death accomplish? You have been baptized into Christ. You have been baptized into his death. You are in him. You are covered in him. And therefore, you died with him. Died to sin. We were buried, verse 4. We were buried by being immersed and covered in Christ and in his death. We were buried. When a person dies, you, you bury the person, and then the person stays in the ground and decays. Or in some instances, the person is cremated. What, whichever one, the body is done away with. That is done away with. What it means to be a Christian. If we have been united, verse 5 says, in a death like his. In a death like his. What does it mean to be united in a death like his? Look at verse 5. 
If we have been united with him in a death like his, what is he talking about? The question we need to ask ourselves as we answer this question is what happened on the cross? What happened on the cross when Jesus died? If you understand that, you understand what he means by in a death like his. This is what happened on the cross when Jesus died. Sin's power was broken. When Jesus died, the guilt of sin and the power of sin, and even the presence of sin, they were done away with. Well, sin will bring to you death. And then Jesus died and gave to sin everything that sin demanded. And so sin could no longer look at Jesus and demand anything anymore. He has paid it. If the wages of sin is death, I have given you death. You have no right anymore to claim anything over me. I have stood in their place and I have died. I have paid the price. And so the guilt of sin is broken and the power of sin is also broken. One day when Jesus returns because of the cross, the very presence of sin, sin with us, the things we feel in our hearts, they will be done away with and then we will be perfected. That is what took place at the cross. When we trust in Jesus, when we come to Jesus, the same thing happens to us in him. The same thing happens to us. Verse 6 tells us, For we know that our old self was crucified. You see the cross language there? Our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Hallelujah. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. When Christ died on the cross, Sin's rule, sin's power, sin could tell us what to do. And we had no choice, we did it. But when Christ died, he gave to sin everything, everything, every death. And so sin lost its power. Now when we say that death to sin, when he says you have died to sin, he means that now you have a new nature. When you are dead to sin, when something is dead, it won't be responsive, right? When you are dead to sin, you really don't respond to sin. When you are dead to sin, sin is no longer attractive. When sin is standing in front of me and dangling things before me, I'm dead. It doesn't mean anything anymore. I am dead to sin. When sin comes and tries to tickle me on the side, I'm dead to sin. That's what he's saying. Dead to sin. Now, how did sin relate to us before we were in Christ? Now, let's emphasize that again. How did sin relate to us? Sin was our master. Sin was the master. It was in our nature. And it would take every opportunity of the environment. When God gave us a good law, that would build us up. Sin ruled in us such that even a good thing became a bad thing to us because it was exposing more sin. God says, don't go there. And then we tell God, we are from there. Sin was ruling. And we sought to do good things in our own efforts. And then sin revealed that even in our good things, 
we were not matching up. Sin was constantly not only making us do things or think things or feel things, he was also showing us that we don't match up. And so we were enslaved to sin. Verse 6, sin enslaved us. Every aspect of our being did according to sin's bidding. Sin said, come, we went. Sin said, go, we left. Verse 9, verse 14, because of sin, death, and sin itself had dominion. Listen to these languages that he's using in these verses. Sin enslaved us. Sin had dominion. When you rule over something, it is a similar language used in Genesis when God said to the human beings, they should have dominion, rule over the things God had made. Oh, now these things rule over us because of sin. Sin rules over us. Verse 12, sin reigned. Have you heard the kingly language? Sin reigned over us. It was, it was like our Lord. And we did what sin in our nature wanted. Now look at verse 13 even. He says that we offered our bodies. It's a sacrificial language. We offered our bodies. We offered our thoughts and our feelings and our goodness. We offered it to sin. Everything. Sin had dominion, control over us. Sin gave, gave us objects of worship. And then we worship created things instead of the creator. Because of sin, we had become idolaters by default. When God gave us gifts, then we turned the gifts into things we worshipped. And then we set God aside. That's what we did. It's sin in us. He ruled over us. God gave us progress. Progress become, became our idols. God gave us jobs. Jobs became our idols. God gave us money. We took pride in that. God promoted us as work. We have no business doing with God. We are always busy. It's sin. Ruling. In our hearts. But now. But now. Let me jump ahead. Chapter 6 verse 22 and 23. I'll come back. But now that you have been set free from sin. And have become slaves to God. At first slaves to sin. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result eternal life. Because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is why death has taken place. Sin's rule is broken. When sin was ruling over us, look at me for a moment. And this is good news. So if you look at me with a smile, I will appreciate it. Sin had a scepter like kings do. And sin was just pointing it everywhere. And then we nodded. And we followed and we said, yes, Lord, to sin. Yes, Lord, to sin. And then when Christ died and we with him and sin's demand was paid for and sin threatened us that if you don't obey me, I'll kill you. And Christ died and it was paid for. And what Christ did was that he came right in front of sin and then he took the scepter, the scepter of rule from sin and then he broke it in front of sin. Sin's rule is done away with. We are united with Christ. And then something else happened. Not only is sin's rule over us done away with, something else happened. Chapter 6 and verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death. 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too, we too might live a new life. Other version says we too might walk in the newness of life. It is not only the breaking of sin's rule over us, it is the giving us of a new life. You see why sin in the Christian life, persistent sin in the Christian life doesn't make sense. It is very inconsistent with our new nature. On the one hand, that's why we need to weep over sin. Because sin tells a lie about us. I'm a new creation in Jesus. Sin's rule is done away with. How is it that I'm living as though I live in it? When I have received a newness of life and I'm being called to walk in it, not that I become sinlessly perfect now, but the direction of my life, and that is why the, I think the ESV is even more helpful. You too might walk in newness of life. There is a direction towards God. There is a constant repentance and faith that moves us towards God and God's purposes and His his will revealed in his word. There is constantly coming to Jesus and really embracing Jesus by embracing the gospel and repeating it to myself and putting in place, and I'll come to that, things that said I'm not going to allow sin to fester. That is the second thing that he did. We too might walk in newness of life. Christ died. Thank God Christ was raised from the dead. In his resurrection, with him, not just for us, but with him, we received a new life. There is a new life. If anybody is in Christ, new creation. It is not like a gift, a token you take and then new creation. It is new creation with Christ. Apart from Christ, there is no new creation. So we are a new creation. Can you believe that? You are a new creation if you're trusting in Jesus. It has implications for how you relate with sin. Sin no longer rules over us because of this new life in Jesus. At first, sin was our Lord. You know why we call Jesus Christ our Lord? Because we have shifted camp. Now we have one Lord. It is not sin. It is not death. It is not Satan. It is not sin in our nature. It is Jesus Christ. He rules over us. He's given us his life and then he rules over us. Now we respond to a new master. The Lord Jesus. Let's finish with this. What does this mean for the Christian life every day? The reason we are called to holiness as Christians, the reason we are called to sanctification as Christians, is not that you have been saved now. See how much God has done for you. Now go ahead and show appreciation by living a holy life. No. Or the second one. See what God has done for you. He has done his part. Now do your part by being holy. And then... God helped those who help themselves. In fact, God helped those who cannot help themselves, who throw themselves on Jesus. That is not it. This is Christianity. This is the gospel. 
When you come to Jesus by faith and confess your sin and turn away from your sin and embrace Jesus, spiritually something has taken place. You die with him. His death is still alive, if you like. You died with him. And when you died with him, you've paid for what sin was demanding. Sin no longer is your master. He doesn't have any rule. Now he'll come the back door and struggle with you. But don't give in. The other thing is that in Christ's resurrection, this is what the benefits we have in him. You receive a new life. Into the accounts will say, I don't know how to say it in English, but it goes something like this. Do not reduce yourself before sin and tremble at it as though it is your master. Now we can wrestle with sin. At first you dare not wrestle with sin. Now we can wrestle with sin. So what does this look like every day when I walk from here and we gather again on Sunday? It looks like this. Number one, repeat this truth to yourself every day. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, listen up. You are no longer a slave to sin. Christ died and you with him. It doesn't matter the struggle. Christ has died. He has victory over sin. He has victory over this particular sin. And in his, in his victory, I have victory. I can have victory. Repeat this. Christ was raised from the dead. You're looking at yourself in the mirror still. I have new life in him. The gospel tells me that I'm united with Christ by faith and in his death and resurrection, I'm a completely new person. The problem we have in the Christian life is not so much a problem of doing than it is a problem of believing. Because it is from what we believe here and here that we live out. And when sin has lied to us and Satan has lied to us so much about our new nature, we begin to succumb. We begin to say that this is my struggle. I'm going to live with it for the rest of my life. Well, maybe, maybe not. So repeat it. This will set you free. Number two. I think I've said it already. Because Christ was raised from the dead, you're repeating this. I was raised with him. I have a new life. I don't believe the lie. And those who, are, who say, and it's true with a Christian life, I have a particular struggle at the moment. Well, it is a particular struggle at the moment. You're going to wrestle with it. It doesn't dominate my life. It may be envy. It may be jealousy. It may be lies or sexual immorality. It may be loves or love of people's recognition or unholy anger or love of money or love of control or power or self-pity, low self-esteem or superiority complex because of what you have. It may be lack of generosity. Or love of people's approval, the idolatry of work, the idolatry of family, whatever it is, Christ has victory over it. And therefore, in him, we can begin now to take our stand in Jesus and hold that struggle to the shoulder and wrestle with it in the victory of Jesus. And I can assure you that if the gospel is true, 
and God the Holy Spirit is has worked through the power of the gospel, we will overcome sooner or later. And so what we do in a Christian life, we fight. We wrestle. We fight. And so don't settle for any struggle you're struggling with. I understand. Fight it. How do you fight it? Fight it with repentance. Fight it with repentance. Hear the word of the, the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to turn. To turn. We fight not with boxing. I hear that sometimes we go to church with canes, to go and cane Satan. Do we do that still? Oh, look at me for a moment. Is it true? You go and cane Satan. How do you cane Satan? I tell you how you cane Satan and sin. Repentance and faith. Applying the gospel to your heart. And turning from and turning to. That is a Christian life. We are constantly turning from and turning to. We are turning from as much as we know of our sin. And we are turning to as much as we know of God. Don't excuse your sin. If you excuse your sin, it will be like feeding cancerous cells in your body. It will spread. And so don't give any excuse to your sin. You have victory in Jesus. Don't hide your sin. Can I encourage you? Don't hide your sin. Sometimes it means going to confess your sin to your wife or to your husband or to a dear brother or to a dear sister. Uh, this is not just because you want to clear a conscience. Because you don't, you understand that because of the gospel, sin has no dominion over you in Christ. And so you don't want to hide your sin. Seek counsel. Seek counsel. Seek counsel. Seek godly counsel. It is part of fighting and starving your sin. It may mean that you delete certain apps from your phone. It may mean that you install certain apps on your phone. And because you're not going to settle for sin. Oh yes, we're going to wrestle with sin, but sin will have no dominion over us. Get the difference. There is a difference between struggling, wrestling, and having dominion over me. Ah, in Christ, we are called brothers and sisters. I know I'm repeating myself. Forgive me. That we wrestle because there is victory. Victory at the cross. Victory in the resurrection. How do we, in Christ, live as though sin and Satan have control over us? Look at verse 12, what Paul says. After he had explained all these things, he says that, let not sin. Let not therefore let not sin therefore reign in your life. Look at verse 13. Do not present your life to sin. Uh, this is action. Uh, there is no action which is rooted in self-will or self-power or mere resolution. I'm not going to do this again. If it that I'm not going to do this again is just confidence in the fact that now you want to have new strategy, you will fail. But if it is rooted in the fact that you're going to look fairly and squarely into God's word and by faith ask the Holy Spirit to apply it to your life and in the light of that begin to take certain actions because you believe this gospel. Let's finish up. How does it look like 
applying this gospel to your life every day, my brothers and sisters. It means that through prayer and the study of God's word, through these means, these channels, we are constantly falling on God. We are constantly falling on his word, his promises. Our hearts constantly do not want to believe. And therefore, we live as though we are orphans. Oh, we want to believe it. And so what am I saying to you this morning? What I'm saying is simple. If you forget everything, please remember this. And then we'll pray and then I'll finish. The Christian life is this. The Christian life for you and I is this. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, my brothers and sisters, this thing that occurred, our whole lives, past, present, future, hang on it, depends on it. When Christ died for you, remember that you, if you believe this, you have died not only to get a ticket to heaven, but you have died in that the rule and dominion of sin over you isn't no longer the case. Now sin, knowing that it's lost control over you, is going to lie to you. And it's going to go through the back door and apply some tactics to get you down. In the resurrection of Jesus, you have been given a new life. So not only have you paid for this, you have now received something in Jesus. What that looks like in everyday life is this. You shouldn't succumb to any aspect of sin in any aspect of your life. Now you have to apply God's word through prayer and in the fellowship of believers as we share in the Holy Communion and we are reminded of this. Now you have to apply every aspect of your life to this and speak it to yourself and begin to take certain steps like not hiding your sin and excusing it and talking to the brothers and sisters and so on and so forth to ensure that you starve sin. Starve it. Don't give it the needed environment so that it festers. Starve it. If you begin to compromise and you begin to let things lose for sin, sin is opportunist. It will take it and not long you will be living as though you are living in your former self. And that will be dishonoring to God. And who knows the consequence of that? Christ has died for us. Let me read this to finish off. Look again, brothers and sisters, to Romans. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Our Father, we as human beings sometimes struggle 
to churn out these eternal, glorious truths to your people, this life-transforming power, the gospel of Jesus. Father, but we beg you that your Holy Spirit will illuminate us further as we reread this passage on our own, as we re-listen to it preached. I pray that, Father, you will, you will restore to us in any aspect of our lives where we have begun to give in to sin to rule over us again. We don't want to. And we pray that Christ will reign over us in righteousness. The Father, his righteousness that has been imputed to us will be imparted to us every day of our lives. That we will walk in this newness of life that we have with him and in him and for your glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.